You have found the Redhead Family Therapy Guy and a Mike podcast, looking at mental health through a pop culture lens. All right, we're back with another Redhead Family Therapy Guy and a Mike podcast. And it's going to be a good one because we're talking about a good one. Yeah, Little Shop of Horrors. It is horrific. (laughs) So then... uh, this one was a fun one. I really so like good. the music. Well, I remember as it's a, a musical. kid, it is a musical. I remember as a kid watching this and feeling like it was hard for me to get into it. Like I feel like it takes a little bit of time to really like draw you in. And as a kid, I feel like that was such a hard thing for me to get past. I didn't watch it a lot as a kid. Oh, I watched. I think because of that. I, I think I'm not sure what it was, but there was something to where I just didn't watch it a lot as a kid. I think it I think for some reason it was a movie that my brother and I like bonded over somewhat. Cool. And so like I like I said in one of our other episodes, I I took my tape recorder and put it up to the TV, <laughs> and I recorded um, all the music so I could listen to it on cassette. That's awesome! Didn't and you so, say you even did something in elementary? You did yeah, the Steve Martin if, ki- I don't know skit if that's or something? embellished or if not, because it's like a faint memory. So I feel like maybe I no just did it in the house. Counterdict you, so just yeah, maybe just I did it, it in the house versus <laughs> doing it like before a group of people. But I definitely, as a kid, acted out the dentist. I thought the dentist, like actually, when we watched it, when I watched it last night, I was really horrified by the dentist. But uh-huh. as a kid, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. I don't think I understood to the degree like now. Like how sadistic how, he yeah, is. and how disturbing <laughs> that is. I just thought Steve Martin was hilarious. He does a great job. And but the he way that, very... yeah, like when he's dancing around in his practice and like punching people as he's opening doors and things like that. It's <laughs> so hilarious. Well, the whole so thing is pretty dark, right? I mean, it's yeah. an alien plant that wants to eat you (laughs) wants to eat all wants to feed off of humans which is kind of fantastic i feel like there's really some deep symbolic like story overtures and metaphors that i haven't fully tapped into as i've been pondering around something about like you know audrey being the love interest but then the plant being audrey too I'm wondering about like if there's something about that in relationship to men and how men relate to women and some men see women as bloodsuckers that, you know, or, you know, because, you know, the plant becomes the vehicle for adulation and, you know, it's interesting that I was noticing some of the similarities between Teen Wolf and in this show sure but the cool yeah, thing is point. but the cool thing is though is like rick romance's character you know seymour didn't care at all about the adulation or success he just wanted audrey mm-hmm. and it's so it's so um kind of fatal or uh or or shakespearean that age that um that Audrey also wanted uh, Seymour. Yeah. But she didn't feel worthy of his love because he was such a nice guy or whatever. I don't know. There's something going on there that was, you well, know, interesting. I definitely agree. I, I think dynamic. you're you're right in, in a lot of that. I, and I think that, that, you know, what is interesting to me is that you have the Audrey too, who is sucking the life out of Seymour. 
And Seymour, you know, is, is doing all of this because he feels like he needs more. Like he needs, he needs Audrey to, to be able to be what he thinks the store owner or Audrey need him to become. And so it's kind of that, that to me, it's kind of that same message of reaching, uh, to become more, uh, because you feel like you're not enough when yeah. it actually just who you are is, is enough. enough. Like yeah, that's, that's what Audrey loves uh, about yeah, him. She loves that you're just this average guy that's yeah. nice or whatever. Yeah. It's really, it's a fascinating reality. It's very similar to some of the themes that we talked about with Teen Wolf. But yeah, th- so what, what, uh, which song do you enjoy the most in the show? Oh, well, I really, I really like when Audrey too sings. And I can't remember who it is. It's like a feed uh, missing. I think he's a four top singer, right, or something. Nine yeah, nine. I love his voice sings. is fantastic. But then I feel like there. I don't know if I can pick a favorite. There's there's just a lot of good ones. But well, I the love opener's great. Songs, yeah. The open the opener open just one. grabs you, and the the duop sisters, you know, that are the background is so cool. Was it Jack? Jack kept going. How many dresses? If this was a theater show, would they have to have? Yeah, <laughs> like, it would be quick changes, right? It would be quick changes because there's a couple. There's one where like one girl stays in the shot, and then it's a continuous shot. One girl stays in the shot, and then the other girls come back into the shot, and then yeah. she leaves and comes back, and they're all changed. It's what cool. is your favorite song? I think, um, does it have to be human? Does it need to be blood? I think that one, like the Feed Me Seymour one. Yeah. I think I also like the song where they conspire to kill um, uh, Steve Martin's character, the, the dentist, the doctor. Yeah. Yes, doctor. Yes, doctor. Um, I don't know. They're all so, they're all really good. I, I think it's, um, I, lo- I just love the music. I mean, that's why I taped it. You know what I mean? And like listen to it all the time as a kid because I thought it was fantastic. What do you, why do you think the plant is alien? What about that? Yeah. Why is it from Other outer worldly. space? Yeah. I, like, I, I thought, I thought it was interesting, but you could, you could just play off a of Venus flytrap, right? You could, and you well, could, I think you the could original, make it interesting. I think the original, that really was the story. The 1960 oh, original really? was that he crossed a Venus flytrap with something else and it became that. Oh, crazy. And I think with the, with the, um, the movie or or the theater show, which one came first? It was a movie first, it then movie, it was a theater, then, yes. and then uh, they picked it up and did it as a movie. And um, I think when they did the the movie, no, when they did the theater show, whoever rewrote it or built off of it or wrote it into a theater show made it an alien plant. What does that do to the metaphor to make it otherworldly? I think it makes it a little bit more diabolical. Because yeah. it's alien and foreign. I feel like it almost makes it more permissible. Like yeah. the action, because it's an alien. It's not from this world. world. Yeah. You know, it's just trying to it's evil. survive. It's the parasite that's coming to destroy. And it almost makes it seem to me a little bit like Seymour, like his, you know, his feeding the plant is a little bit more permissible because he's right trying to stop this alien invasion, which yeah. seems a little bit 
like I think more accepting. So I don't know if that played into it or not. I don't know if I'm just thinking, you know, yeah. thinking way off on this. But no. But I thought it was interesting that it's an alien planet. I mean, I like that because I love yeah, sci-fi, fun. right? Yeah, it's it's like, oh, it's an alien. <laughs> yeah, it makes it way more fun. <laughs> but yeah, I love when he starts talking. When the plant or he, she, I don't know what it is. But when the plant starts talking, I love the, Everything the character, like that. the actor that they got to play the voice yeah. does well, an and, amazing and the, job in the scene. And the movement of the puppetiness. Yeah. <laughs> the, I mean, the fact that they could so get good. the lips to be that kind of animated yeah it's really impressive for 1986 you know what i mean Uh uh-huh so yeah i think it's i think it's fantastic it's really lively and interesting and i think it's funny like when he makes the call to to i always took note of it as a kid like when he makes the call to to audrey to get her to come over so that he can feed yeah he He like (laughs) he like he checks the the phone oh, yeah. the phone booth for like a coin to uh-huh. come back. Like, <laughs> I just always thought that was really cool. He's like, dang it. He's like, I've seen people do this enough. <laughs> I know you're supposed to check it. So so yeah. So what do you what do you make of um well all right, before you ask that, that's a deeper one. So I what, want I want to ask you a question no, real quick. Okay, so sure. you had mentioned something earlier. So I thought, you know, I was like, Oh, okay, yeah, I, the ending is is fun, right? They get their house oh. that she dreamed of, and then there's yeah. the little the, her song, the little uh, um, plant, right, sure. in the front. But then you had mentioned the play doesn't end that way, and no. I was shocked. I had no idea. So how does yeah. the play end? Yeah, the play ends that when the scene where she where where Audrey two is eating Audrey, mm-hmm. um, she actually dies. So she eats her. Yeah, the, and I think the Audrey two eats Audrey. Well. I think I want to say in the sh- I don't know how the movie because though the director's cut of the movie ends the way that similar to the way the theater one in the theater one I feel like he feeds uh, after she's dead he just goes ahead and like lets her eat him eat so Seymour lets Audrey too eat, eat Audrey, Audrey like because it's like oh. too late or something like that and then maybe he tries to kill it. Or something. I don't remember exactly because it's been a very long time since I've seen the Seymour theater one. Get eaten? Yeah, I don't know if he's trying to kill him or if Audrey Two just betrays him and eats him. But then, but then the the theater show the way that it does it, and there's a number at the end where everybody that's been murdered or ate by Audrey Two is a plant and they're oh. singing along with Audrey too. And you know, so like in the play, in the they're play. dressed up as plants. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and yeah. And then like, the thing is, is then like it moves towards the audience. Like it's kind of cool. You. I really want to see the play tragedy. now. <laughs> yeah. It ends as a tragedy. And I think the director's cut does something similar to that. Maybe when, when he goes over to save her. No, I think in both versions, he, cause Audrey's dead. So, like, he, you know, the struggle, he tries to save Audrey, she's dead, and then he just kind of, like, acquiesces, like, well, I got to do something with the body, and so you might as well eat her. And then I don't know if he then is resentful and tries to kill him and then doesn't successfully do it, or if... um Audrey too betrays him. I think I think he tries to kill him because he's resentful of the loss of Audrey. Well, and it's interesting because I feel like if Audrey too is a representation of Seymour's inadequacy, then it's so, you know, 
interesting that Audrey too ends up consuming Seymour because how often in life yeah, do the people we've met with absolutely. their inadequacies just consume them right. to the point where there's so many emotional issues going on. Um, I had another question though. So, well, well, I wonder going back to the idea of Audrey and Audrey too, if, if mm -hmm. it's a, if Audrey too is a metaphor for the destructive female, mm -hmm. you know, like if a teen wolf and the wolf is the destructive appetite of a male. And if Audrey too, I wonder how interesting would it have been if Audrey too would have been a female voice yeah, and seduced. I wonder how much of it you could do the same and how interesting it would be if it was Audrey too. And then Audrey too, the plant is eating Audrey. So it's really a treatise on how the destructive appetites of the feminine oh, can destroy, destroy the, a, a love, yeah. a, a reasonable love interest, right? Because then the story could be that, she, you know, that in well, a way she's seducing, uh, she's seducing Seymour for Seymour to, Seymour to deliver her out of this destructive relationship. Well, and what's interesting is... Audrey too does eat Audrey in the play and almost eats her in the movie. Yeah, kills and her. So well, almost kills her. Yeah. Maybe that's really you know, the metaphor. Yeah, is that hey, because she was going down this path of really destruction and and seeing I don't want this, I want out, but couldn't get out. Yeah, didn't and know that, where to get out. And maybe and that's what Audrey Seymour, too represents is her and own. Seymour well, is the way out. But he has to stand up and be yeah. more than he is. He has to be strong. Which in the play, the inadequacy consumes both of them, which yeah. is really a cool it is metaphor because really that cool happens metaphor. a lot. Yeah. But in the movie, of course, it's a movie, and you mentioned this earlier, movies have to end happy, or they yeah. usually do. There's a couple and of And so they yeah. defeat the inadequacy right. in the movie. And vanquish it versus it eating them alive. So a question and I have- And eating everybody else, which is really true, right? I mean, if the alien goes forward and destroys everyone, yeah. it is that appetite that that would destroy humanity. Yes. Like if, if, if humanity allows resentment or inadequacy- to be its driving force, it well, will eat itself. And I think that's true because think about how pervasive shame and, and inadequacy is within the things we work with. I feel like you can find it present in basically every issue that we're working with. Now, now there's other things we're working on, but I feel like down at the core, there's going to be some shame or inadequacy present. Yeah, that you're that trying to healed. overcompensate for in a destructive way. And so then you think about Audrey too as this alien force representative of shame and inadequacy that does consume the world, which I think yeah. is true to some degree. Pushes you to do things that you wouldn't really yeah. do or things you don't want to do. So, okay, I have to ask this question. This may be me thinking like way too much about this, but when you told me in the play that Audrey too eats everyone, my thought was, well, in the movie, it took like tons of energy for Audrey too to move close enough to get a coin out of the register. I'm just thinking, how would they eat? How would the plants eat if they just kill everyone? Don't they need like a like a host person to go and to, get them bodies? Yeah. Like they can't. Well, maybe the move. idea <laughs> is after it eats Audrey and Seymour, it has Finds gained a new enough host or, or has enough strength. To, maybe to then move around because yeah. it's consumed. And then if it's moving around the city, it can grab some cats, it can grab some dogs. Well, the, which I don't know why 
well, I mean, I guess we wouldn't have a movie. You know, he didn't just use like stray cats or dogs. That's what I asked Heather. So Heather, I'm probably in the minority here where as a kid, it was just, I couldn't get into it, but Heather watched it a lot also. Mm-hmm. And I asked Heather, I was like, why doesn't he just go get pig blood? <laughs> or cats. Or yeah. Dogs. yeah. And she just Skid chuckled. Row. And then, you know, or the rats. point is, well, then what's the movie? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, surely there were some big rats rolling around oh, Skid Row. <laughs> Fed them off a of rat. I love, I love the sets, right? Oh, it's the, so good. It's, yeah, it's just so wonderful. derelict and kind of dirty. Well, it's characteristic of the movies we grew up with. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't computer graphics. It was yeah, actual sets. Set. And it draws you in. You know, I, now computer, I mean, you can get some really great looking stuff with computer graphics, but as a whole, it just feels more tangible, right? It feels oh, more it real when you have. Well, I even love the older Star Wars movies because. Well, or like Last Starfighter, in some ways, I like aspects of that more than, you know, the updated Star Wars because, you know, you've got real puppets or real costumes. It's just so fun. I know. I love I love how they did try to, to bring that back with Star Wars. Like, I feel like they've done that in with the shows where they have more live puppetry. Well, I think they're realizing it's the pendulum swinging one way yeah. and the other, right? It's like, oh, we have a new, you know, shiny toy. Let's do yep. everything we can with it. But then it's like, okay, it's well, there's much. limitations. Yeah, you gotta right? have there's, yeah, there's limitations. <laughs> and so things come back or it doesn't, you know, there's a feel or a, a realness in some aspects that, you know, or you're lost with it. But yeah, no, the sets and uh, um, are, are really fantastic and wonderful. I love to like... Uh, I was wondering, you know, if we put this strange and interesting plant in the window, it would draw people in. And he's like, that won't work. And then like, the guy pops in. He's like, do you have change for a 50? No, I guess I'll take a hundred dollars yeah. <laughs> the roses. <laughs> I love that. I was just thinking of that part. I was looking at some of my notes and I was just going to mention that. Like how often, you know, I think this scene is really, really important because – you have Seymour that has this great idea. And I think the shop owner is a manifestation of our own mind in how we come up with ideas and we just shoot ourselves down immediately. So true. And how often does that happen? I do it all the time. Like I'll always say I'm not creative or I don't really think that deeply, but then we'll talk and I'll have ideas. So, so there's stuff there, but my mind just automatically is like, no, No, we just shoot ourselves down so quick. And I love that scene well there's a bunch of scenes with the shop owner right because he's just not (laughs) he really plays that well of kind of just demeaning the uh, (laughs) but i thought that was a really great scene because that he's really just like no 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 it's a stupid idea and how often do our clients come in and they just are beating themselves up and then immediately this guy comes in and and the actor that plays the guy is just wonderful right he's just over the top that's great (laughs) and then he spends a hundred bucks which back in 86 is a lot of money i mean for sure still a lot of money but it's a lot more money back then yeah for sure (laughs) yeah um, so which cameo did you enjoy more? Oh, oh, John, there's so many. So yeah, list them. We have, so John, we have Candy, uh, John Candy. We have Martin, uh, Steve Martin, sorry. Um, Bill Murray, Bill Murray, Jim Belushi. Yeah. What did Jim do? He was like towards the end, right? Yeah. He's the one that was trying to get him to sign a contract. Oh, to, that's right. He just had a little bub one you know, little, uh, buds and then, you know, take the plant to everywhere. So in the can world. we take, 
Can we take Steve Martin out of cameo category? Because he had a bigger part. Yeah, because I really like his, but I I want to I want to I want to say he's more of a a part of the movie and not a cameo. Yeah, that's a good point. And so if I were to choose between Bill Murray, uh, John Candy, and Jim Belushi, Jim Belushi, I would have to say Bill Murray. Although I, I I like all three of those actors a lot, but Bill Murray, I would have to say, had the best cameo, like just the juxtaposition of right of the the sadist versus the masochist. Yeah, the masochist was wonderful, and I love how he, the dentist just gets pissed off, right? Yeah, He's and like, Bill's like, "What did I do? I something do wrong? <laughs> like what?" <laughs> He's like, "No." My trigger is that you're actually afraid. Not yeah, that you're enjoying yourself, you <laughs> weirdo. It's you so sicko. wonderful. It's so Why do you think they put that in the movie? Like, it's so wonderful. Why do you think that? Like, I think it's what was that it. supposed to represent? I think, it, oh, I think it's just sadism, and I think they're just kind of manifesting it. It's awesome. I love it's that. It's so dark. Scene. This again. This time, I think as a kid, again, I thought it was hilarious. I thought Bill Murray, Murray was hilarious. You know, as he's spitting the cotton out of his mouth, and he's like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> I just uh, at this time I just was like ooey by it. I was like, oh, that's really gross. Um, but yeah, no, it's fantastic. I mean, who even, is your favorite? I don't cameo? know. I would probably have to say. I mean, uh, John Candy is you know all him. Oh, you know. know, he's just hilarious and go go so go. Wonderful, just all so dynamic. And I mean, Jim Belushi didn't have much. You know, it's funny. The tagline here said, "Well, it says like for the the part, it says Patrick Martin as Jim Belushi." Huh? Like I, I wonder, don't know why. I don't know what the spin is there. There's yeah, got to be know. some kind of inside joke or something. There going must on there. be. I don't know because it's like Patrick Martin as Jim Belushi, and then it has Jim Belushi. So it's like I don't know. Maybe Patrick Martin was trying to. It must have been some kind of ego trip that they were like, okay, you can be this other character that's trying to be you, and so you can just be you. I don't know. It's got to be some kind of inside. Yeah, joke. I have no idea. But yeah, no. Bill Murray was hilarious. I. I mean, I think one of the things is like the anticipate. Anticipate anticipation of him like like standing like sitting on his feet yeah, in the chair he's like so a, excited <laughs> he's so excited he's like, like sticking the cotton swabs <laughs> in his mouth as he he's walks like, oh. in and he's just going on in this bizarre monologue about being to different dentists and different dentists yep. he goes to on different days <laughs> and why he goes to them it's like if you actually pay attention it's really it's hilarious it's awesome I wonder how much of that was just him ablibbing through that too I imagine oh I bet all those guys. Ab libbed a ton. A I mean, they're just that. so good they're at it. So, yeah. It just comes natural. And yeah. I, I thought it was one. I, so, I, yeah, I think Bill Murray is probably my favorite. But let's go to the question of who was your favorite um, actor or actress in the movie, like part. Which part was your favorite in the movie? Do you know? I oh. I know it's a hard one. Like for which me to, character or which sure, actor? Yeah, which character? I mean,. I feel like it's really hard. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think for me, I really like the the uh, Audrey too. I really yeah. like Seymour, and I really like the dentist. I think like, as it's a, hard for I me. think as a kid, I really liked Audrey too. Because as mm-hmm. I was noticing last night when I was singing along, I knew all the Audrey two parts. It's because it's so good, and I, they have I didn't a. Know the, I didn't know the Seymour parts. I knew the Audrey yeah. two parts. So I must have. I really thought it was hilarious and fun. Um, as a kid, and I definitely then second liked um, Steve Martin's character and just you yeah. know the scene where he's you know singing around and about how he how well, he, the fact he found a place 
uh, for his his sadism as a dentist. It's just like too and perfect. I, I love that they cast Steve Martin as this rough, tough motorcycle dentist sadist guy because he's the furthest from that that I think of when I think of <laughs> Steve Martin, Martin or yeah. dentist. Yeah. <laughs> so I love it and he does a wonderful job. Like just yeah. he's just classic Steve Martin. Yeah, but I think yeah. yeah, I think those 3 are hard for me to pick from, but I would have to say probably Audrey too. Just the the person, the singer they got to the play personality is so good. Yeah, the personality that it brings to mm-hmm. the character is really fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the idea though. I, they should totally do they somebody should listen to me and they should do an upgrade and have a seductive female. <laughs> they could do a uh, that could be a 2023 version, a reboot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like a, yeah. Reboot and everything else. They can throw that Might as in well, there. might as well reboot and then make it a female. I what think if they brought be, Rick really, Moranis back? Oh, that would be great. As, he could as, be like the shop owner. Yeah, or he could be Mushnik. Wouldn't oh, that be that would awesome? Be so good. Oh, he would man. be such a good Mushnik as well. He's good at anything he, he does. Really I really like. He's really coming back for what did I say last Honey night? Honey Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, it's I called Shrunk. Know. I think. I don't know if I saw past the first one of Honey I Shrunk the Kids. I think I've what seen else them all. Did he do I remember that watching was the first great. one. We should do the first one. He did Ghostbusters. What else did he do? Was there Spaceballs? Spaceballs. Yeah, I feel like there was something else he did that I really liked that I'm not remembering. He did the. Strange Brew one, which I've not really, I think I've seen it once. So I, I don't really. I, I had some friends that were all about that show and would quote it all the time. But yeah, I can't remember. There, I'm sure we're missing something. Um, there was Ghostbusters. Shrunk is coming little, out. Uh, yeah, Honey, I Shrunk some TV kids, shows. Little Shop of Horrors, Spaceballs. Oh, he, he was in Brother Bear. Oh, yeah, he was yeah, in Brother he was Bear. Yeah, Brother Bear. Yeah. Was there something else back then, though, that was Miss big Spider-Man. in like the 80s, mm-hmm. early 90s? Big Bully, Sesame Street, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Little Giants, the Flintstones. Yeah, was, I remember watching Little... Oh, yeah, he did Flintstones with Honey, uh, I Blew John Up the Kids. Goodman. L.A. Story. He was an L.A. Story, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he did a couple Steve Martin movies. The Blue Heaven, the Earth Day Special, the Rocket Boy. Yeah, just a bunch Space of them. Space Club Paradise, Head Office, I think there, it's interesting, though, kind of going back to your point. Isn't Saturday Night Live? I feel like it was interesting how they really make it evident that Audrey, too, is just is sucking him dry, right? Like yeah. sucking the life out of him to the point. I mean, he. I, I laughed because when the shop owner was yelling at him because Seymour forgot the flowers for the funeral, he looked, he looked akin to yeah. how he looked in Ghostbusters. Like he just <laughs> looked like completely disheveled and, and lifeless. Um, and so, you know, I think it's really interesting that this metaphor of how things can just suck us dry and we still find like value in it. Like he's still, he's still doing it because he feels like there's well, something to come of it or something, or he's trying to protect others. Or well, I think that just shows how strong of an appetite shame can be. Yeah. That it can just keep you going. It's really kind of fascinating that it's, it's hard to confront the things we need to, to have peace or peace within our own skin, but how much energy we'll spend. Yeah. In, acting out of shame you know whether it's in an addiction or a destructive relationship 
um, you know, or, you know, we'll spend so much time and energy obsessing and worrying, you know, it really is, you know, like a sucking amoeba. It's kind of a fantastic it's, metaphor that you have this alien form yeah, it's just of a host. So that's a parasite mm-hmm. on society, right? It's so interesting. There's oftentimes I'll talk to people about fear and shame and and I'll just say, you know, it's so interesting that as as humans, we don't like like fear and shame. We don't like it, but we love it. Like we don't want to let go of it. Right. You know, we're we're scared. We're like, fearful of letting go just of fear. Our and shame. wiring? It's you think crazy. our wiring is that strong? I think it is. I think it's our, you know, I think the our brain. amygdala really like our limbic system fires so frequently, is used so frequently that I think it and that's that's the power in like we've talked about before, emotional regulation, breathing exercises, hot cold work. That's why it's so powerful because it exercises your prefrontal cortex. Right. And when you strengthen that part of your brain, it gives you more control or more balance with your limbic system and prefrontal cortex. And I think you're absolutely right in that your central nervous system and your limbic system, survival they just are so powerful that it ingrains in us. We can't, like we're scared to let go of the fear. Yeah. We're scared to let go of the shame. And find another way and kind of let this higher part of yourself, which it's yeah. also so cool that like the greatest successes or where real joy is found is in the wisdom of, you know, your frontal, you know, your frontal lobe and mm-hmm. learning to think and learning to decide and to choose to engage and embrace these higher values yeah. versus giving way to the animalistic, you know, um, gut response of the natural man. You know, it's a really fantastic It is. Well, think about struggle. the growth that comes from that. You know, it's so hard to let go of fear and so hard to let go of shame, but to learn to manage it in a way where it's not as controlling through emotional health exercises or emotional regulation exercises, that's really powerful. Like that I mean, that gives you so much strength and so much, um, you know, we talk about mentor, right? These wise mentor figures. And I think that's what you become is someone who's able to be present uh, more often so that you can then mentor and guide others. Well, and what a a victory, you know what I mean? To, To master yourself in such a way that the natural man instinct isn't what drives you yeah but that you choose sacrifice you choose graciousness you which choose is not love, easy right <laughs> you choose kindness you choose generosity you choose forgiveness you know the all the antithesis of the survival instinct yeah right? which you see in these movies where there's the mentor role yeah you just feel welcoming Right. Right. And I think that's what all those things encompass is, you know, people can sense that you are welcoming to them. Well, it's also fascinating that the conscience doesn't affirm the natural response. Yeah. How fascinating is that? Yes. That there's this other part of us that if we do listen to our biology mm-hmm. and as a male sleep with tons of women to, you know, populate this, you know, the world with your sure. seed. Like 
your conscience isn't okay with that. You know, that if you don't forgive or make peace, you're filled with resentment that cankers and eats your soul. You know, it's really interesting that we don't find peace in the fulfillment of our natural instincts, right? It is. Well, and I that think there that's... is this duality and mm. pull within the human soul of this higher and lower self, and that there's this part of us that is not okay with if we if we give way to the natural instincts or the the appetites of the flesh. You know? Yeah, it's about learning. Oh, yeah, the control, the balance to being able to be more present. It's really to transcend the natural. It is right to become something more than what than what our physiological cool. desires yeah. are. Right, which is so true, not only of those things, but just of our natural impulse to, right, to have our amygdala fire to have, protect doesn't, ourselves. Doesn't that just naturally? Then I mean, I'm not a debater, but doesn't the idea of evolution, if you're a pure science evolution and you you're, you toss aside the religious or whatever, then that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense that we have this gnawing part of our in our makeup that is at odds with the natural affections of the of of the human soul the body you know well you, i think you see what I'm, you see yeah, what I'm asking well and i think that survival uh you know in our day and age and for a long time now survival is about feeling connected it's about feeling a part of oh, feeling the acceptable of that it's the social not, evolution. It's not at one point in our evolutional history, it was survival of just getting just living. more, yeah, to continue the race. Mm -hmm. But for a long time now, our survival it's been has based on the group. Yeah. Now we, a family our unit. brain still thinks, right? That's the push that we get from our amygdala and our central nervous system thinks that survival is life and death. Or what we mentioned a lot in, in the past is, real fear versus perceived fear. Yeah. But we live in a world of perceived fear. Yeah, well, I mean, well, perceived fear is being used to hack us to make consumers out of us. Because it works, right? Absolutely, <laughs> it works right? Really it's well. like, give me, I'll give you my money. You yep. know what I mean? Because you've offered me comfort. Well, look at Black Friday. If I don't buy this now, it's going to be more expensive later. Even if I don't have the money, it makes sense to buy it now because it's cheaper, <laughs> right? That's crazy. Right? It's this fear of missing we, out on well, something that will cost us more about later. everything about the organization of the phone is to hack us to stay on it. Oh, yeah. It's awful. Yeah. yeah well, and there's – I mean, we could go into all types of stuff on technology, right? Because there's just really interesting documentaries that are out yeah. on technology. But I think it's interesting, your point, in that – you know, as, you know, we look at, at the world and, and how we are, you know, there's still this, and it, even as a kid, it's always been present. There's still this gravity, especially as we go old, grow older, I think to look towards, oh my goodness, things are getting worse. Things are getting worse. But in actuality, it is very safe to live. Like well, if you look at the history of this world. Yeah, that's true. It is very safe compared to many other times throughout our history. Right. Because all so, of the atrocities that are happening still now were happening. You know, oh, with even more, yeah. right? With even more there's things. there's less, even more lawlessness, let's say. Yes. It, well, they're just, yeah, there wasn't infrastructure. There's a lot of things, right? A lot more infrastructure yes. to order, even though it's it's polluted and 
And, well, think uh, about cavemen versus now. Yeah. I mean, sure. you had to literally worry about being eaten by an animal. Sure. How many of us really have to worry about about yeah. being eaten by an animal? No, I mean, if you're being exposed to that kind of, you're probably putting now, yourself in that please category. Please don't misunderstand us. We understand there are real dangers. In oh the my world, gosh, of course, yeah. right? And there are bad and real things evil. that happen. Yeah. But I think it's important to realize that I think for most of us, the healing, or not for for all of us, what we really are looking for in survival is connection and acceptance. Yeah, I guess somewhere along the way, our, our physiology has internalized the need for that m- more, or it has led well, that's to the why, cultivation of I mean, that's conscience. why there are people that make tons of money off of being what other people want to be. It's not, it's not, I mean, there are people that make tons of money just off of living a certain lifestyle, or at least perceiving they live a certain lifestyle. And it's not because of anything besides perceiving. we want to be accepted like we think this person is accepted. Right. They're popular. We want It's not that we want to be popular. We just want to feel accepted right? and to feel like we, we matter. That we matter. That yeah. we have something of value that makes us of, of worth to the social order. Which is all about inadequacy and shame, right? And so I feel like that is really the pervasiveness of our physiological nature now is we are striving to feel more connected. And so when we look at sexual addictions or someone who, you know, doesn't doesn't think having a relationship really is that important, they're really what they're doing is they're being bombarded by shame and inadequacy to the point where it's like, it's easier for me to accept that, hey, having a a relationship with someone doesn't matter. I'm just going to go and have sex with whoever. Make lots of money. I just, that feels good. In the moment, in the moment, it may feel good to a point where it doesn't feel good anymore in the moment, but. (laughs) Yeah, well, and if you live an obsessive lifestyle towards wealth or the mastery of a thing, that takes up all your time and you don't have, and and if you're obsessed with that to overcome shame, you don't have time for a relationship anyway. Well, and then you become obsessed because you're seeking something that you're not getting, Mm -hmm. but your mind's telling you, seek more, seek more, seek more. But what you're really looking for is just acceptance, love, connection, but you th- your mind's telling you you're going to get it here. Right. Maybe because you've had glimpses of that in doing whatever you're doing. Right. You, you know, you'll get acceptance if you feed the plant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You'll get the girl. Well, and look at Seymour, right? Seymour did get some level of that notoriety, mm-hmm. fame, success. So Audrey was interested in him the whole time. Exactly. I wonder what the story would have looked like if, but it's interesting, yeah, because he won't pursue her because of his inadequacy. You know, like if he pursued her for real, would she have had the courage to end the relationship with the doctor? You know, it's hard to say, right? Because, you know, I don't know how ingrained she is in and how much she can actually see those bids from Seymour if he were to offer them. Remind me, so in the beginning, he tells the story to the, to the guy that comes in to the shop with the $50 for roses, then a hundred bucks or whatever. He tells the story of how he got Audrey too. Right. But can you remember why did he actually leave the store that day to go out? What was he doing? 
Oh, he was just fascinated by botany, so he would go to the the Japan, the Oriental or Japanese or foreign um, market to mess around with. He plants. was just out and about to look at. Yeah, plants, he was just out and about looking at plants. You think about, you know, some of my favorite some of my favorite movies from that time period there's always like an oriental spin right so you have gremlins right you have uh, big trouble little china you yeah, have even little yeah, shop yeah. of Horrors has this little piece of this oriental asian well, it's mystery this foreign, yeah it's this foreign <laughs> society that's yeah. totally you know i mean the opposite of of our value system and our values it structure. always intrigued me and then of course the one that we we talked about our second episode, right? Karate Kid, right? right? Where you have this Asian influence. The Asian influence stuff always interests me, and I love that little piece. It's just a little piece, uh, and it's not even that they didn't even have anything to do with Audrey Two coming to their no. store. Audrey Two just yeah, showed poofed up there, yeah. But just that they had that little Asian piece. I just I thought that it was is really an cool. interesting <laughs> flavor of like this curiosity and mystery of an of another world on our world. Yeah, you know I mean? which is fascinating. I mean, I'm at a time in my life where I'm kind of interested to to dive into some of that more. You know what I mean? Yeah. To get out of the bubble and kind of go and see what else is going on in otherworldly places. You know, that are mysterious and different. I think it would be really neat um i have a lot of different hobbies but one of them is is doing like photography Mm -hmm. um and so i bought a camera right when we started so we could film our our episodes and and we still record and film a lot of our episodes we just don't post them because it just takes a lot of time but um I've always been interested in, and I've had cameras in the past in like astrophotography, but then as I've done more with astrophotography, I have become more interested in like landscape photography. And that just makes me even more want to go because there's so many cool places, places in the world, even in our own country. I mean, oh, it's yeah, amazing. Dude, the USA is such a diverse place, man. It's I mean, amazing how much. Place, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I can understand your desire i would i just like going places i i really like wandering it's really something one day john and i want to go to the tour we want to go to france and we want to write a stage and we want to do a podcast from there yeah from france from (laughs) yeah from the tour (laughs) i would love to just i think it would be great too if we just get in an rv and do some podcasts and then interview some people too oh that would be fun fun would that be just do that just drive wouldn't that be fun like to just like roll into a town and be like hey we're doing a podcast we just want to interview a regular person yeah or i could whatever. just do a sign or something and then just be like yeah be like <laughs> and and just talk and then like what's your favorite movie you that know even awesome. if it's just off the cuff or whatever you know what i mean or even find someone and then like okay watch the movie tonight we'll watch it tonight we'll interview and we'll you, talk to you tomorrow, tomorrow. yeah because we'll be in town and like have a booth in the rv like that would be would a lot be? of fun so whoever wants to hire us as a podcast <laughs> whoever then, has like money, how fun would that be <laughs> yeah how fun would that be and then we could have an rv we have like our logo on the side cool. drive around and then like you know just do some regular american i think there was that well we can put the the sponsor logo on life, the side yeah, too that's what i'm saying dude they're incentive people if you know anyone one or you yourself want to sponsor want to sponsor the redhead family therapy dynamite <laughs> podcast the anchor account will be set up soon that would be so cool that would be so cool we could even just do like a couple days like a couple weeks a year if we could get to the point where we had an rv oh yeah and just drive out and just do that anyway that would be awesome oh it'd be so cool 
I can't think about it too much because then I don't awesome. want to do it. And I don't, and off. We don't have the ability to do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta, you have to we have time it. to do it. Just you have to contemplate yourself as surrounded by the conditions you want to produce. And then you send out subconscious signals to the universe and then you attract it towards you. Okay, let's start. Will everyone help us, please? <laughs> Envision. <laughs> Envision John and I doing this. With our logo on the side of, a, of an RV. And then us driving around with a cool. If we get enough people studio. envisioning it. Have the bikes on the back. That would be awesome. Because then we could also get the other states. Yeah. I've got 10 of the 50 states done on my pedal bike. I have two. And then we could just start <laughs> clicking them off, dude. Yeah, that would be fun. Oh, that'd be great. I it's know. so good. One of the biggest hurdles with work is we get time. It's just taking the time. It oh yeah, tough. I have a ton of vacation. I know, but I think I have. I think tough. I have like sixty hours of vacation right now. Maybe yeah. seven. I might have eighty. Let's use it right now. Let's do it. Let's okay, get an people, RV. That's it. Adios. All right. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> We've talked about it. Yeah. Well, okay. What are we talking about? Little shop of horrors. Little we shop. Little <laughs> shop of horrors. We're daydreaming sure. so much over here. Sure. Let me see. Yeah, I love Bill Murray. Sure. I love. Let me see. What other notes? What other things jumped out to you? I feel like they're. I just, I just love everything. Yeah, about I this love movie. the color. The oh, music. I know. I love. So the color just of Audrey too. Yeah, it's, she becomes vibrant, or awesome. he becomes vibrant. Yeah, I'm really on about a reboot where Audrey too is a female. And and she could be seducing Seymour into, but then but then Audrey too could seduce Seymour out of and killing Audrey. But then he could have this thing, yeah. and then it could be like an accident. Oh, it'd be so good. And just write a screenplay, and then I'll sell that. that, and that. And then fund and then the we can trip. do seriously. Well, I mean, if it, I mean, if you sold it for enough, it'd fund much more than you probably <laughs> do whatever you want. But it, yeah. could use a portion of that to fund our RV trip. Uh-huh. So then for you, what do you what do you remember the most from you know from being a kid and, and watching this? You you mentioned I you know I recorded the songs and would listen to them. You mentioned kind of dancing around and doing I they, the I just thought it was fun. Steve Martin skit. I thought it was just fun. I, I really liked dancing around. I just thought it was hilarious. Was this a Halloween movie for no. you? It was just a fun no, anytime it was just a movie. Fun movie. It was just I think it was one it was probably my first exposure to musicals too. I think it wasn't long after that that I really got like, you know, went and saw Les Mis. I went and saw um oh what was that other show called? I saw a bunch of uh, musicals like in my high school I joined the Culture Club. Cool. And the Culture Club would go see theater shows to culture see, it, us. It's so funny because my mom loves musicals and I remember growing up we would watch a lot of musicals, like a ton but I don't remember us really watching Little Shop of Horrors. Oh. And I don't know why. I don't maybe know. Maybe she was disturbed by it. Yeah. Maybe it, just, maybe it was or too maybe it seemed silly. I don't scary, know. maybe. But it, watching it, I remember watching, but I didn't remember everything. So when I watched it for the first time a couple of days, and then we watched it again last night, but I, I remember watching it for the first time in a long time a couple of days ago. And I was like, man, I don't remember like half of this movie oh yeah and now i want to go and watch the director's cut because the copy the uh, itunes yeah that i have has the director's cut you will see the tragic everyone die everybody dies and it becomes plants everyone is consumed by the shame and inadequacy what what would you what is so the driving force of audrey too is just hunger right 
She wants to eat. I mean, that's what happens to us, right? When we feel like we're not enough is we just push harder and harder. That's where perfectionism comes from, right? Yeah. Is this desire to attain this unrealistic expectation because we feel like isn't we're failing there, short constantly. Isn't there, a part falling of, short. isn't there a part of perfection, though, that's healthy? It's the part that wants to master, that wants to grow, that wants to accomplish. But isn't that just progression? Things? Yeah. But I'm just saying that there's a yeah. part of it that's not all bad, right? There's nothing yeah, wrong with learning and growing, or or even or even wanting to do something that's never been done. You know, there's sometimes like there's a part of me that wants to do things like that, and it's not about notoriety. It's not about being better than others. For me, it's just the exploration of yeah. the capability of me or or of humanity. But I don't think that's perfectionism. No, I didn't. Right? Sorry, I just was using perfection as a general, not yeah. perfectionism itself specifically, but just that need, because we look at it as kind of all bad, that need to be worthy enough. Which I think we all need. Yeah. We all need, we all need a part of us that wants to progress something more. Yes. Right. But right. then there's the balance to where, yeah, like you're Is saying it, about, it can go too far right. to, well, let's talk about like learning a language, right? We work with a lot of youth that are learning languages and, or they're learning a certain skill and it's like, they've been learning it for three months and they're like, I don't know it as well as this person who's been learning it for a year. So I'm not, right. I'm falling short. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> well, and there's an aspect of, of if you are healthily attached that, gives you the confidence to go yeah. dare to do something great versus the part of, a, you know, the personality type of someone that's obsessed for the sense of that I'll be enough if I fulfill this thing and achieve this thing. Well, so think, there's like both of them are at play, right? Well, I think, you know, with perfectionism, failure is counter to progression. Right. But for progression, failure is, is an essential tool well, it's of just, progression. It's just it. Yeah. I mean, it's just what you, so, do. you know, Right? It's like how your mind perceives a realistic versus unrealistic expectation right. is kind of like, that's where my mind- But we need to develop competence. You sure. Know? We need to mm -hmm. wander into, we need to well, have because it, new, it helps us. It's fun. Well, it's enjoyable. It, it's yeah, fun. It's what builds resilience, right? When yeah. we go through something and we accomplish something, or maybe we don't accomplish that thing, but we go through it and we learn something and grow from it, right. that's progression, that's yeah. resilience building, and it feels good because we yeah. then know I can do something that I thought I couldn't. Right. Or if we don't accomplish the thing, we know, hey, here's what I need to do to do it next time or to do right. it within the next three times or whatever, right? right? It gives us those tools. But if we're perfectionistic and we don't accomplish it, then it's like, I'm, I'm a bad. failure. Yeah, I'm bad. Yeah, there's something wrong. Or with no, me. I have to be better than everyone. Versus being able to celebrate. Yeah, you know, I just saw an interview or a clip of an interview with Wayne Gretzky this morning, and um, he was being asked, you know, how he'll feel about Ovechkin um, breaking some of his records or something. Oh, is he getting really close? I, I think don't so. NHL that. Closely. Yeah, I think so. I, I feel like I think that maybe this year it's in reach. What did Wayne say? He said, awesome, "Well, or was he yeah, he yeah." It? He said, "Well, he's like I, he's like I, I'm reminded of what my dad said. He talks a lot about his dad. That's cool." And he said, "I was wondering what my dad said when, um, when I broke Gordy Howe's records." And he said, "You know, Gordy Howe showed up with a smile and a handshake and said, congratulations.' You know? That's cool. So happy for you. I'm happy, you know, for hockey. You know, why not? Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, you know, exactly. Because if you're not like, if you're not okay with it." 
you have major Wayne shame Gretzky issue. will always be the great an one. amazing Dude. hockey player. Well, right? it's because, you know, again, it's always like these individuals that are doing things that nobody else is doing. I well, mean, Wayne Gretzky is doing things that nobody else was doing. It's okay that more than one person is awesome in this yeah. world, right? Yeah. Well, there's you know, always going to be another. We're all awesome in, in our own ways. <laughs> well, and there's going to be another trendsetter. You yeah. know what I mean? You know. It's too bad. It's really interesting. Hockey's got this thing going on right now that if, you know, if you are a really talented player, like, you know, one of the best players in the game right now is Connor McDavid. And like, he's on the Oilers, who I think is partly owned by Wayne Gretzky. But because he's so talented and well played, they can't get a team around him to to really be successful and go to and win a lot of Stanley Cups. How come? Like, well, Players because well, there's there's salary caps oh, for teams. Sure. Okay. So gotcha. if you spend so much money to get McDavid, yeah. then your pool is limited. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who else you can surround him with? So these guys actually, it's really fascinating because I was thinking to myself, I wonder if I was a pro, if I would have the foresight to say, you know, go to a team that wanted to recruit me. Like for instance, Philadelphia. Um, Johnny Hockey is this incredible player. And uh, he's from the Philadelphia area, and he really wanted to play for Philadelphia. But Philadelphia wouldn't make the bid for him. I don't know why, because the, the GM's an idiot or something. And I think he ended up in New York or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if, if I was like, if I really wanted to play for Philadelphia, I'd be like, okay, look, this is what I'm worth. You know, I've got three teams that are going to pay me yeah. you know, $45 million for five years or whatever it is. And, you know, I'll come play for you for 20 Yeah, if you'll take the other 20 and surround me with a bunch of other great players. Yeah. I mean, like, if you could have the foresight to be like, and, I, you know, I want your coach is great. Well, I love your organization. Take, you know, pay me 60% of what I'm worth. Yeah. And go get me some other great players and let's win some Stanley Cups for three years. You know, I just, I wonder if I would have the character if I'd be like, screw that, just give me the money. Well, and I think that, you know, just like oftentimes in life, there's more to it than just that, right? It's not always that black and white to where, you know, you have someone like he might be willing to do that, but then his agent is like, no, well, you can't again, do that. Right? Well, exactly. You can't do that. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, I was, just, I was actually having like, the same thought. <laughs> be like, yeah, well, you work for me. Yep, so it's exactly. like, yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, like I'll go get another agent that will be happy to take the 60% of what I'm worth and the commission for the 60% instead of the 20 more million because I want to actually win. Yep. You and know? it's interesting because – you know, I, and this is kind of off the point, but it's interesting to me because I think that we oftentimes kind of picture how we might handle a situation or how we think we might handle is probably more accurate, right? Because right. how we handle it's usually not how we think we'll handle a situation, but how we think we might handle a situation. And then we look at others, and I'm not saying you were doing this, but we look at others and then we will judge. Sure. Uh, you know, I should be doing this because they did it, or they should be doing it because I think I would do it this way. And that plays into the perfectionistic mindset, sure, right? Where that judgment piece, and it's kind of this balance, right? Because we do want to have capabilities to judge. Well, we have we to want use to be, judgment. We do. We, and we all discriminate all the time. We do. And discrimination's not bad. We it's want about discrimination learning. has been vilified, but it's like I want my daughters to discriminate. I'm sorry, well, guys. I think that you know, I don't want them to date any guy. When, I want them to date certain guys and not other guys. But when we're talking about like perfectionism or progression, I think that the thing that we want to do is create an atmosphere where we reduce per, uh, reduce um, shame. 
an inadequacy. And that allows us to see so much more. And yeah. as we see more, our judgments and our discriminations become ones that allow us to move forward and allow others sure. to move forward. Well, which is my suggestion is what it would allow, right? It would yeah. allow... I mean, well, I, I mean, because honestly, too, if if you're going to have such a big contract that you can't really have talent around you, or you're going to bankrupt a team for the next ten years because yeah. they're going to have to mobilize so yeah, much I resources don't, well, just for the money, you. I guess, right? Like, why do that? Like, these guys yeah. have to love the game. Well, and the thing too, that's yes, yes, you would assume so. To be at that level, yeah, like, you would you'd assume have to, so. I mean, you'd have to well, love it because you have to do here's so Here's the much other thing, too. But, like, if you're making more, I don't know anything about money or resources, but, like, if you're making more than $10 million a year, yeah. you should be able to live at a you point that you can, well, that you can take all of those other resources and create other resources. Yeah. I mean, this is why the ultra rich are ultra rich because they have so much resources that they can create opportunities for I mean, more resources. If we're being realistic, if you have 10 to $20 million, you should be able to just invest that and live extremely comfortable without ever touching the 10 to 20 million, just right. living off the interest. Well, and then that's well, but if and if you're dynamic <laughs> and, and well, you would grow aggressive, in wealth, still. then exactly, yeah. you can continue to grow even more. And so so you, you can even take you up could your just, standard, you could just play hockey but for that's, free, right? That's the, that's the thing I understand, or people that I've talked about that start to climb the echelon. It's like I don't yeah, have you, 10 to 20 million, so I can't speak I you know, can, I don't to either. the truth of that. And but I'm not the and my discipline. <laughs> I am making a, a judgment way. here that Amen. that I'm not qualified to make. Amen. Amen. All right, people. This was a, it's a, a good a great one. movie. A lot of fun. Great we hope you show. continue to enjoy our Halloween month. We got two more left, right? So we've yeah. got Lost Boys and Beetlejuice. Uh, Beetlejuice? Yes. Oh, it's dark. Dude, those are dark shows, bro. <laughs> we're doing we're gonna have to light we're gonna have to lighten it up with yeah. November. What are we doing? Oh, we're trying to do our interviews of our wives for November. Oh, so just that's a right. little sneak peek. And then we're doing Willow, which Willow I love. Willow I feel like has a great story. I'm gonna have to I and had a hard, will... I, we were gonna do that one a while ago and I fell asleep. It's always a death kiss when I fall asleep during your show. <laughs> what um what movie is your is your wife been talking about? Oh, there's a few. Oh, I can't remember. So she mentioned um, Billy Madison. That's good. Uh, oh, so I married an, so I married an axe murderer, awesome. Billy Madison, or don't tell mom. The babysitter's dead. The babysitter's dead. I think. Oh wow. Those three, I think, were her top. She actually has a list of movies. And I was like really impressed. I was like, "Holy cow, we should do those movies!" So I'm gonna have to get the list from her because it was yeah. it was a really my good wife list. is stuck between Wayne's World or Stepmom. So I I want your wife to choose whatever she wants, but I I would love to do Wayne's World. So if she doesn't pick that, Wayne's we World have to do Wayne's my, World. Wayne's World was not my jam. We like, have to I do maybe it. watched it once. You're I had have tons to, of friends. I had tons of friends that were like all <laughs> culted into it, like a ton that would like, you know, sing it all, or, you know, sing this thing. Oh, yeah. I lines. love Wayne's World. But well, I mean, I you didn't. look at So I Married an Axe Murder around the same time, yeah. right? Both Mike Myers. I kind of hope she picks Stepmom because there's a lot of great things to talk about with that show. <laughs> it's a great show. Nicola, if you're listening, pick do not be swayed. Yes. Stay the course and pick what you want. She and will. then, and she then will. we'll do the Trust other one. Me. So whatever one you don't pick, Trust Nicola, me. we'll do the other one. Trust time. me. My wife does what she wants. Awesome. <laughs>
you can rest assured that uh but those, i'm not the uh, yeah those will be fun to look forward to for november and then christmas uh, month uh, so december we're gonna do christmas movies again i'm pretty excited about that did we pick have we picked our christmas movies already we have some ideas but we'll we're not we don't have we've got to throw in the snowman to one of the other ones I, though we could probably talk about the snowman by itself you haven't seen it have you I think you showed it to me oh, like last like Christmas. year. Is that the Did British like, one? Yeah, there's like no talking. Yeah. Dun, 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 yeah, I think dun, you showed that to dun, me. Dun, 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 okay, everyone. Dun, dun. I think you'll be excited for our forthcoming episodes. I'm excited. So if <laughs> I'm you're excited. not, oh well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> we'll I'm keep talking to talk whether or not you're excited <laughs> to listen. We love you all. Thank you for listening. Adios, amigos.